0: They took me to the family doctor to say, look, we're new parents, you know, is there anything you can do? And the family doctor said, well, we can sedate him if you want, so you can have a rest. You've just got a problem, child. The way it transitioned was that my love of physical movement activity translated into sport. I had dreams of going to the Olympic Games ever since I was six. And then when the scoreboard came to life, I saw uh, GER third, GBR fourth by the narrowest of margins. And, you know, you can you can ask independent sources as to whether they thought... I mean, my opinion was we were robbed, and at the time it was a samurai sword of pain, and the emotions are, are very, very painful. And and anger, frustration and blame, you know, that for me was the the hardest lesson, but also the greatest gift, because the next four years after those games were the hardest of my life. And we just managed our state, you know, and the way we did that was we were not taking it too seriously, but we were really focused on our performance and the process. When we got up on the final of the Olympic day, my unconscious mind had been there so many times before that I was able to remain cool, calm and collected. We don't stop playing because we grow old, we grow old because we stop playing.
1: I believe everyone has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions. Okay, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest today is an Olympic silver medalist, a speaker, executive coach, mentor, author, Co-founder of the EQ performance and BBC commentator. Delighted to be joined by the one and only Leon Taylor. Leon, how you doing mate? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. Oh, mate, like all, awesome, awesome. Look, it's been great obviously, knowing from your career and watching and seeing some of you speak previously as well. So really look, absolutely buzzing to have you on today. So thanks for your time. And um, let's look, we're gonna jump straight into mm-hmm. it. Um, I've I read a little bit about when you was labeled as an early age, as a problem child. Mm. Tell me a little bit about you know how that sort of impacted you and what life was like growing sure. up. Sure,
0: yeah, it's quite a label, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that was um, from the family doctor. Would wow. you believe? So uh, my parents, uh, I was the firstborn. Yeah. Uh, 1977, and it was um, a traumatic birth, which you know, is worth mm. worth mentioning. So uh, it wasn't very comfortable. Neither was uh, what, what was it for my uh, for my mum and. Uh, For whatever reason, when I got home, I just was never settling. So I was constantly crying, would never sleep, and this didn't really get any better. So my poor parents, there's a wonderful picture of Sam on their wedding day, and they look Beautiful, vital, happy. (laughs) And then there's a picture of the three of us, and my mum and dad look like they've been dug up. (laughs) So (laughs) you can imagine the impact. And I know that many parents out there, and I'm a parent myself, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? So uh, it really did challenge my parents. And what happened over a period of time is that I needed... um, you know, it was difficult to manage, if you like. So I needed constant attention. I had all this energy. So they took me to the family doctor to say, "Look, we're new parents. You know, is there anything you can do?" And the family doctor said, "Well, we can sedate him if you want, so you can have a rest. You've just got a problem, child. See how you go." So it was this kind of like shock to my parents. So they were offered uh, medication. You know, I don't think ADHD was a, a label back then. I don't yeah. think it had been defined hyperactivity. So. Yeah, the family, family doctor labelled me as a problem child and, uh, and offered a pharmaceutical invention, uh, intervention. And my, uh, my parents decided not to do that. So they thought, right, well, let's see if it's just us and maybe other people, uh, our friends and those who've had children already might be able to, uh, to look after Leon. Anyway, that didn't last very long. Everyone got really busy, aunties, uncles, <laughs> mum and dad's best friends. So the only thing that they, uh, they could come up with, Sam, is that, like, OK, the only way we're going to get some rest is if we try and tire Leon out and so my life of physical movement and activity started way before I can remember so as early as climbing up on the cushions and my dad would push me off and then I'd go again and again and that would be for hours I'd go to uh, mother and baby gymnastics so the clues in the description I would be swimming while still in nappies splashing around for hours and hours was in the bath or at the local pool so all of these activities seemed to work so I would thrive I would be in my element, and I would get tired, and I would eventually fall asleep, and everyone would would have a rest. <laughs> so the so that impact really was uh, was on my parents and how they decided to guide me because yeah. I had endless amounts of energy and I wouldn't rest. The other thing that was challenging for them is I wouldn't play on my own; what? I needed f- attention. Yeah. So you know, the clues there aren't they? The symptoms are, are there. So I was never uh, formally diagnosed with ADHD or anything else. So my parents
1: uh, have you. Have you- Bid later in life though looked at that at all no, no.
0: i haven't no. looked at it in uh, in any great detail it's interesting for me that my kind of story and self-management and a lot of the things i'm sure yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, touch yeah. on today will will speak to that. but it's not an uncommon diagnosis for high-level sports people yeah, yeah, um, yeah, sure. being able to go into a place of hyper focus yeah. i mean the sports that i ended up excelling in are the ones that you know are suitable for those with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ones which require individual focus i was never any good at football waiting around for someone to pass me the ball because (laughs) my attention would go off and i'd end up getting in trouble for not doing you know i was was in trouble a lot when i was youngster (laughs) particularly at school that was a a, a challenge the teachers the instructors were sit still concentrate and be quiet and i couldn't do any of those and so i was constantly uh what was school like like that View. It, yeah, it was, it, it, so in the early days, it was hard. I, I felt as though I was always in trouble, and yeah. um, I probably was. And you are trying to make sense of it. And, you know, yeah. This is in the early days, and I was very boisterous, I think was a nice way to describe it. And there's all sorts of stories where... My over-exuberance has caused, you know, probably I wasn't necessarily naughty, but the yeah. results of you know, playing with me and I would just try and push things too hard. I just remember, something as innocent as, as leaving nursery or playgroup, as it was known, and I'm with my two friends and we're holding hands and I'm in the middle... And we're just swinging along and skipping, you know, as, as you know, yeah, four years do. And then I think, oh, great. And I get so... One goes up in the air, the other goes up in the air. I broke my friend's arm and the other one split his head open right in front of all the parents at the gate, including my mum who was picking me up. And so wow. it's just uh, an innocent example of how my energy and over-enthusiasm uh, mm-hmm. was a negative impact, on I, I guess, mm-hmm. on on that part of the journey. And And I think the... The way it transitioned was that my love of physical movement activity translated into sports. And mm-hmm. it isn't long, but I started the local swimming club when I was six. Gymnastics, you know, tumble tots on into uh, t- you know low level uh, age group gymnastics. And, and my parents really saw how much that meant to me. So they started to introduce this notion of consequence. Leon, if you... You know, behave well here. Then you can do this. And there were times, you know, that that just suggestion of this is really important to you, and uh, me acknowledging that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were able to use that to guide and discipline me, if you like, I- I- in a way where I kind of understood and was able to to begin to self manage over time. And so oh, yeah. uh, I feel very fortunate my parents went about it in that way, yeah, yeah. Um, because it certainly worked. And over over time, uh, I was able to find my way, and I became. Easier to manage. That's not a very nice (laughs) way to do, but I think that's the best way of of describing.
1: I'm I'm just interested to touch on the the, the school. Did you did you find it hard to engage in within the school environment? I I guess at that younger age. No, I
0: I really enjoyed you know being in school. But I, you know, what would have been better for me is not sitting down, but standing at the back of the classroom, marching on the spot. Because if I'd have honestly, if it all okay, Leon, you're being you know you're starting to get distracted. Go out on the playground and do five laps, and then come back in and sit down because that's all it would have needed. You know, the the, the, the the square peg round hole thing. I was the square peg, yeah, and yeah. you know, I was willing to learn, wanted to learn, I wanted to grow. I was interested in a lot of the things. But I just had so much energy, so yeah. I was like, "I'm, i you know, I'm designed to be moving." <clears throat> yeah. And what you're asking me to do is be sedentary for hours and hours at end, and there was never enough play time or enough time in the in the
1: sporting uh, yeah. or the
0: PE um, arenas for me to uh, to
1: enjoy. Uh, one of the reasons I'm interested to sort of touch on on that is just around the whole like the education system and how it structured it and I, I'm wondering you sort of mentioned that the doctor labeled you as a problem child mm-hmm. was, was, was the school a bit like that as well or not or, or did the school sort of, I guess with the physical activity side of stuff did that encourage you but wh- or was it that you sort of labeled a bit of a problem child at school as well or
0: yeah I don't that? think those words were, were use. used yeah, 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 yeah but it but
1: was it was certainly um,
0: yeah, it wasn't unusual for my parents to be informed of of some incident or something, yeah, and luckily, sure. as time went on, it became less and less, yeah, and that yeah. uh, that ability to to navigate and manage and understand, yeah. uh, you know, and, and self manage. So when I was at junior school, I was swimming every morning. So five a.m., I would get up and I would go for for wow. you know swimming training for two hours. So I'd arrive at school having spent a lot of energy, yeah, and yeah. I was able to to concentrate. Then I go to play time, then play at lunchtime. And then as soon as I finished school, I would go off to gymnastics or to diving or to whatever else I was trying at the time. So you can imagine, by the time I got to to junior school, I was able to burn the energy that I needed to burn, which would allow me to settle down into a level of receptivity where I could listen and take it in and, you know, uh, be part of that that system. But that was because of the
1: structure that I was then operating within. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's uh, amazing. I guess, like, as well having that support of your parents mm-hmm. and actually like you said because obviously as parents as, yes. as you are yourself as i am it, all, all we want actually is the best for our, our mm-hmm. children but to, to have the doctor say that oh, we could go down this route mm-hmm. and how great that it was that you know as i said they've got, you've got that support of them to be able to go no actually we you just need some some a space to uh, yeah. to, to have some activity to be able to get out of there and mm-hmm and how great it was because look at the career path you yeah, I mean, taken. Yeah,
0: yeah, you've got to look back. It's sliding doors, isn't it? Your decisions yeah. are made and, and my parents had no idea what they were doing like all yeah. parents, right? Yeah, Let's not do it. us. I've got no clue. No. We're just doing our best under the circumstances with the knowledge we've got and we're going with our intuition and our intention of yeah. what's best for, right? Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm very thankful and My goodness, the cards they were doubt were like difficult ones. It's like, Oh, okay, how do we do this? And they they decided to play them and it you know, the feedback was, Oh, that works. You know, he's Mm. thriving and settling and able to concentrate a bit more. Okay well let's keep doing that and it required a huge amount of sacrifice uh, of anything that they wanted to do to yeah. allow me and, and then my younger sister yeah. three and a half years younger than me to you know, go off on all our um, endeavours and my sister was very sporty as well and the reason she was sporty is because she used to go with either my mum or my dad to watch me and then yeah. obviously she was oh I want to try and it was all of you know, that because when we know, divide yeah. and conquer and, and yeah. off you go and then after time she decided that you know uh, sport was you know not for her she yeah. went on into her teens, and then if you ask her, she's the clever one. She's got a, a doctorate <laughs> and a PhD, and I'm the sporty one. So uh, we split. Uh, yeah, we
1: split the skill sets. <laughs> Fair enough. And then, so so obviously, then gymnastics at that young age. When when did like the diving and that sort of come in? When yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Where, where was that sort of love for
0: that? Yeah, so swimming and gymnastics, way from yeah, back before yep. I can even recall any memories, they've yep. always been part of what I've done. And of course, like at any sporting endeavour, you start off at you know, a certain level, and yep. then if you want to, you can you know, step up. And of course, if you're competent and you're getting the results and developing the skills or the times, whatever it is, you can yep. begin to c- compete at club level, county level, district level, li- yes. national level for age group and such. like. So I, I actually started diving just before I was nine. And the reason I started diving is because I was at the junior school. <laughs> uh, I was in the classroom, and the teacher uh, said, "Okay, the uh, junior school swimming gala. First year at junior school. Ju- junior school swimming gala is coming up." And then uh, she said, "Okay, who wants to do the front crawl?" My hand shot up. "Who wants to do the back crawl?" Hand goes up again. Breaststroke, butterfly, phew, diving. Phew, hand goes up for everything. So I got entered in everything, including the diving, having never done any diving other than diving off the uh, off the blocks into yeah. the pool. And then, of course, I did the diving competition. I did all right, and I'd never done before. But the diving coach of the club went up to my mum and said, "Oh, um, do you think Leon would like to try diving? I think he's you know got got what it takes because of my gymnastics background. I had the body control, and you know mm, sure. the, uh, there were a few contributing skills that uh, that, that lend itself." So my mum said, "Leon, do you want to try?" Yes, diving. <laughs> you know that was that was how it was. Well, but yeah, then yeah. I tried everything, and I went off to diving and. And and the truth is that you know some people are like, oh, Leon's really talented at diving. But if you look at that in more detail, bearing in mind I've been um, taking part in gymnastics and acrobatics ever since I was one, yeah. the skill set for gymnastics, handstands, somersaults, aerial awareness, body control, conditioning, flexibility, pike shapes, tuck shapes, all of it's there in that grounding. And of course, diving now is a huge element of gymnastics, core work, conditioning work that that, that is factored in. Yeah. I just had that all before. So when I turned up in the diving pool, I loved the water because I was a swimmer and I could do handstands and somersaults and everything. So it was like, whew. so my progression in the sport was was incredibly quick yeah. because of that background. I was still doing gymnastics at that time. So when I was... 11 so just about to uh, start senior school I competed at a national level in all three of those sports swimming gymnastics wow. and diving so swimming I was 16th at the national championships for the 100 meters backstroke gymnastics I was fourth and diving I got a bronze medal I also got a gold medal so I was national champion in, in diving and that's when I made my decision a kind of forced decision because both gymnastics and diving were starting to vie for even more time and if yeah. I wanted to continue at the level and of course had had dreams of going to the Olympic Games ever since I was six. So that was kind oh, of fueling, young, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I watched the Olympic Games when I was six on the TV, 1984, and um, I was completely mesmerised. Yeah. You know, I sat there with my dad watching so much of it, mum as well. Uh, but there's a particular moment, sat with my dad and watching Daley Thompson receive his gold yeah. medal. So yeah. Daley, you and I both know what an incredible athlete and um, a, an Olympic moment, a, you know, legend moment, yeah. right? In 84, yeah. he's receiving his gold medal, standing on the podium, and he's whistling. And so I asked my dad, I said, oh, dad, 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 why is that man whistling? And my dad says, oh, I'm not sure, maybe he's trying to stop himself crying. And I say, oh, no, is he in trouble with his parents?
1: <laughs> and my dad says, no, 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 he's not in trouble.
0: I've said sometimes when people are so happy, they begin to cry. And I'm confused, of course, so I'm only six. And then yeah. my dad says, well, the reason why Daley Thompson is so happy is when you're a sports person, Leon, there's nothing greater than the Olympic Games. Mm. And my response was, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And that kind of, you know, it just seems like any child might say that. But my behaviour completely changed because um, I would always ask my dad then every few weeks, Dad, when are the Olympic Games back on? And he'd have to explain to his six-year-old there every four years. Mm. And then uh, Father Christmas used to bring me the Guinness Book of World Records and uh, I would wow. diligently write down my best swimming time next to the world record holder, uh, my best score in gymnastics or whatever, you know. So I had this, you know, passion and desire for. And so by the time they came around again four years later, I was totally plugged in. And that informed my desires and ambitions and, uh, uh, and goals right from a young age. You know, there's nothing wow. great in the Olympic Games. And so it became... I want to go, there's <laughs> there's a, um, it'll be on VHS uh, at my mum and dad's house, it's probably available somewhere, but I was interviewed at the age of 10, sat on a diving board with a brace and a squeaky voice saying, I want to go to the Olympics one day. Really? Yeah, yeah. And they showed that when I won my Olympic medal, you know, uh, 15, 16 years later after that interview, maybe even longer.
1: That's such a fascinating, <laughs> I mean, look, we, we, I'm sure we'll delve into it a little bit later about sort of visualisation and mm-hmm. and... And that, but from to have a to have a dream from such a young age, mm. and have that, and, and and maintain that focus through mm. your teens and yeah. and going up into that, like just is mind blowing, really. Like when you start that that type of determination. Yeah, from, to, it's, to it was that. a
0: seed that was planted, right, yeah. and then it kind of grows. and And then when I was six, I wanted to go as a swimmer because I love swimming. Yeah, I yeah. never even taken part in diving, but then of course as things change the passion's like okay so all the swimmers are giants and i'm now you know excelling here and actually like this more you know and
1: then yeah. the dream was still the seed was still there and that passion uh you know and, and so i guess it as well like again back to parenting and stuff and and, and having that grounding from your parents that that you, you can achieve mm. whatever you want to achieve in life and that's Talked to a few people on the podcast recently about that and about, you know, this, our start in life really and actually the opportunities that we're, we're allowed, allowed mm-hmm. to have from comes from school, from parents, them type of things. But a lot of it obviously has got to still come from us and within, um mm-hmm. to have that ambition to want to do that. But the encouragement and that, that, that belief is so important, isn't it, I think, at a young age.
0: Yeah, 100%. So it's interesting really. So when... um. You know you're creating the opportunity so i was always very self-determined and driven so whenever i would come home um from a a bad training session and i would have a hissy fit for want of a better expression go, i don't want to do gymnastics anymore my mom and dad would go fine no problem at all that will save us x amount a month we don't need to spend this in petrol no problem at all if you would like to you know to stop that's that's fine Mm -hmm. and then i would calm down and go no i don't want to stop you know, and it was this wonderful yeah. self-determined. They created the circumstances where it was it was it was me driving it. So, yeah. for example, yeah. another example, a great one is is I come, I must have been ten, and my mum came in to wake me up for early morning training, quarter past five, and I said, oh, I don't want to go. And my mum, uh, you know, said, Well, you know, you've committed to going, so I'm up. We're going to go, and so she took me under under duress. And then that day, I, I got home uh, after school, and there was a, uh, a, a present for me that's kind of wrapped up, and we never get presents outside of a birthday or Christmas. So I'm like, what's that? And Mum's like, oh, I'm not sure. Anyway, I open it up, and it's, you know, f- it's for me, and it's uh, a radio alarm clock. And she said, okay, if, if you set your alarm now for swimming, you know, you have to come in and wake me up, because I'm not taking the responsibility for getting you up and going like I did this morning how old was you then? Ten. And wow. I would diligently set my alarm clock. And, of course, my mum would set hers because she wanted to get up for a coffee first and everything. But yeah. it was just that, you know, example of it's fine, yeah. uh, you know, but it, it needs to be It's got to come you from you. you yeah, yeah, and that responsibility, it was like, well, I will take that responsibility then. And, of course, you have bad days. You know, a bad day isn't a bad life. And, of course, as you grow up, there's lots of things that are going on. But generally, it was that self-determined,
1: you know, desire and the yeah. responsibility. Wow. I oh, It's fascinating. I love that to just like you say that journey from such a young mm-hmm. age and that, that focus. To, I mean, you, you, you talked about that. Like obviously, sometimes about sort of bad days. And I often talk on here about challenges, especially mm. with entrepreneurs, business owners, and stuff. You of know, on that journey, life's a journey, isn't it? And we, we, we face them things. Like, if we go forward, then to you know, I guess you know, your first Olympics in '96, mm-hmm. but then obviously in 2000 in Sydney, you, 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 you sort of, I guess, so much geared up to that. And then coming forth and missing mm-hmm. out on it. Talk to me a little bit about that, I guess, in your mindset mm. around around two thousand and and how you sort of come back after that as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a so diving's a subjective sport. Yeah. So it's people's opinion deciding whether you're good enough or not. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is is difficult to swallow. And of course, you know, unconscious biases have always. Playing out, or just biases are playing mm. out. So the judges are often, you know, there's it's progressed over the over the time I've been through the sport, and now as a commentator, mm. the judges are, um, you know, there's various things that have been put in place. But in the in the old days, the the biases were the the judges would be favourable to those nations who are um, expected to do well, mm. and uh, and harsh, you know, by way of what scores they're giving on the nations that weren't. And we were fighting to come through. British diving now is in a fantastic place for. For many reasons. Peter and I were the breakthrough Olympic medalists and then the Tom Daly and now we've got you know countless competitors both in men's and women's, young athletes as well, who are taking it home and they're they're getting the advantage that we never had then that they are expected G B is a diving nation, England GB is expected to do well and therefore the judges are are naturally gonna their unconscious bias yeah. is gonna go their way. So for, for me, ninety-six Olympic Games was my first Olympic Games walking around like Oh my goodness I'm like, here Yeah I'm here This is amazing Surrounded by my heroes Linford Christie Colin Jackson On the same team as me I'm Watching Michael Johnson Run his world records In his home Olympic Games With the crowd At the same time That I'm competing Not expected to do anything You know 18 Did my levels In Olympic Games In the same year Incredible Wow You know Just like Magnificent Team GB didn't do very well This is the days before The, the funding came in And this was the big change So 96-36 On the medal table Team GB One gold medal and then the, um, the the landscape changed to, to for the better. In 1997 onwards, the National Lottery funding came in, so athletes like myself and many others were able to get funding for the first time ever. Yeah. So we got a monthly grant, which would enable us to pay our rent, put food on the table, but we also got access to physiotherapists, psychologists, nutritionists, and all of the um, sports scientists that we never had access to before. And it kind of gave us chance to... To make a play for the for the medals if you like to 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 step up but it was a bit of a squeeze to sydney so one of the other things that changed is that uh, diving we've been in the olympic games since 1904 always as an individual sport but this synchronized discipline a bit like the relay in um In athletics or swimming, it's you know it's the same sport, but there's just a different event in it. So you're not you know specialising in it. It's just nice to be able to do it. And that kind of came in in between '96 and 2000 was the first Olympic Games that it was part of the diving program, which gave us an even stronger chance of getting closer to to the medals. So going into Sydney, Peter Waterford and I uh, were. In the mix, you know, it's difficult because it's subjective and we'd been there or thereabouts. We'd you know, won a medal at the World Cup in Sydney months before, but then going in, you've got, you know, all of the big hitters, the Russians, the, the Chinese particularly, who are almost unbeatable, and the, and the Germans uh, who were particularly strong in that event. And, yeah, as you've already teed up, we ended up fourth just outside the medals by the narrowest of margins. Mm-hmm. And what was hard about that is that the uh, German pair, they made a mistake on their last dive. And I watched them hit the water and I thought, oh, that's it. We've won our Olympic medal. We're we're going to be bronze medalists. And then when the scoreboard came to life, I saw uh, GER third, GBR fourth by the narrowest of margins. And, you know, you can can ask independent sources as to whether they thought. I mean, my opinion was we were robbed. And at the time, it was a samurai sword of pain. And then, you know, others would come over to you afterwards. New Zealand judge would say. That wasn't very fair that that happened you know i wow. thought that you you know so it wasn't just you know me yeah, taking yeah, yeah. umbrage but it's the sport right and it's the hardest thing to accept people's opinion deciding your fate and you know the 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 emotions are, are very very painful and yeah. and anger frustration and
1: blame you know we all experience did these you things. go did, did, did you go into that obviously i, I guess go you, you go into any any event with the belief that you, you, you could we, but i guess we've, we've we're diving wars mm. and and I guess how far you'd sort of come, but what did you go in with that expectation, actually we're gonna we're gonna get a, we're gonna get an Olympic medal here, yeah. here in Sydney. Was that was that That's before you went in? Th- yeah, so I think we went in with the hope yeah.
0: and the understanding that if it all went well it could. And it, uh, in in retrospect, in, in hindsight, I went in and took it too seriously. I was too yeah. focused on the outcomes.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and that was one of the big learnings from that when you evaluate your performance, like, you know, what did you learn? What would you do differently next yeah. time? What would you keep? What would you, what would you change? You know, one of the things, you know, some things are too important to take too seriously. Mm. And because it was my second Olympic Games and because there was a chance we could win a medal, that's all it became about. Yeah. And if you hold on to something too tight, you squeeze the life out of it. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened there. You know, it wasn't just because of the Germans. It wasn't because of our last life. You know, there's lots of things. It was actually the approach didn't serve us. The expectations, potentially not expected to win a medal, but like focusing so hard on winning a medal that you are concentrating on the wrong thing. The outcomes take care of themselves. It's the performance that you've got control over. And if you know what performance you're aiming for, then it all becomes about the process. And, you know, that for me was the the hardest lesson, but also the greatest gift because the next four years after those games were the hardest of my life and I would have never made it through that Olympic cycle to compete again because of what happened Mm. if I'd have already won a medal because as soon as it got tough in that cycle, I'd have gone, well, I've already won an Olympic medal, I'm out. And the reason I made it through the 2000 to 2004 cycle and managed to stand on that podium and overcome the challenges that I endured during that time is because of the fourth place and that frustration that away from motivation you know there's nothing more effective you know this isn't how you should do so there's towards motivation which is the desire to perform and go after you know your your uh, goal if you want or ambition but there's also um sorry towards motivation there's also away from motivation which is the pain or the frustration and so for example you know if I was lying in bed feeling tired and fatigued and not really wanting to go to training, feeling a little bit like, oh, maybe I'll just, you know, take the morning off and rest. I would just go forth. And then that would be it. I'd spring yeah. up into action. And so you could use these fuel things. It was fuel, but then I wasn't driving myself with forth, bash myself forth every day. Mm. It was just at the right time. I'd remind myself of that discomfort mm. and then bring myself back up to, to motion and mm. then refocus on, on the process. And the process is what gets you to the performance, and the outcomes take care of themselves. So the approach to the next Olympic Games was was fundamentally different from a psychological point of view, yeah. and it and it and it works. And that's the the way that I am so passionate about sharing now. Whether it's with my uh, executive coaching uh, business that uh, that's um, provided me with a huge amount of intrinsic reward, or whether it's the mentoring I do of you know the young athletes in all different sports, you know, sharing that. Uh, discovery and insight is 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 very very important because we get because we're judged by outcomes so they're important to acknowledge but the more we
1: focus on them the more they trip us up Love that. And I, I guess I want to come on to this a little bit later but um, and we will talk about but I guess that the process journey all those I mean it's the cliche we always say life's a journey and etc etc but I do I do fundamentally believe in that and I, I talk about it on here a fair bit that you know I've, I've often I went through a period in my life where I was driven by I'll be honest probably by money I wanted to create a business where I'm going to generate lots of money I'm going to be this millionaire this time next year blah 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 all those type of things people would say how are you getting on Sam and I'd say I'm getting there mm-hmm. and, and I didn't actually know where I was actually trying to get to and you take your, your eye off what the process and the the journey is, and trying to I guess enjoy that process and be part of it as opposed to having this end thing that we're we're trying to focus on. But I will I will touch on that in a little while because I do I do want to I do want to I do want to talk me through this that four years of obviously because I've read a little bit about and I think we spoke previously about obviously going through a bit of depression mm-hmm. during that time mm-hmm. and and struggling with your sort of mental health. Mm-hmm. You also had multiple sh- shoulder operations. Yep. I mean let's talk it took me through that period that four years leading up so obviously coming out fourth in mm-hmm. the olympics end and then going through what you did mm-hmm. going into then 2004 yeah through that period.
0: so so you know when i stood at the at the beginning of that four-year cycle mm. you know there's uh an element of uh okay What are we going to do? Four year periodized training plan where you've got it's linear, so you've got major championships, you know, throughout that four years. Mm -hmm. So you know kind of where you're trying to peak each year, Mm -hmm. you know what you're attempting to do from a performance point of view. You've got your strength conditioning, how you know what weights you're gonna be attempting to to push and lift in order to get stronger, fitter, Mm -hmm. more agile, powerful. And that all plays in all of these different component parts. But of course, You've got a plan like that, but it doesn't always go like that. And often, you know, there's huge setbacks yeah. or, or mini setbacks or things that go awry. And, you know, you never, there's no crystal ball, so you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and for sure. me, you know, as soon as I embarked on that journey, things started to, to go the other way. You know, I'm looking at the plan. I know where I want to get to. And the shoulder injury that I've been ignoring successfully for two years uh, and uh, navigating with painkillers and, uh, and um, just willpower, is starting to get to the point now where i can't deal with it anymore and so i'm having to uh look at that more seriously and that resulted in you know having to go to step away from the sport and have a reconstruction to the to the shoulder if i didn't have reconstructive shoulder surgery then i wouldn't be able to dive but i was also given a 30 percent chance of making it back and this was the first time that i'd ever you know been out with such a serious injury and you know that disillusionment and the. Will I, won't I, ever get back six months of painstaking rehabilitation? And I, you know, that first surgery I did, I did make it back, and I was kind of pushing too hard to get back. And you know, you know, in hindsight, you know, you can only do what you can do. And I was always pushing to get back that little bit quicker.
1: Hmm.
0: And ultimately, the uh, the surgery was a success to a point. But when I got back into the pool, my shoulder wasn't right. So I went back to, you know, for what I was hoping would be reassurance uh, six months later, seven months later. Uh, but I was told the first surgery hadn't quite worked and I needed another. And, and that's when, Sam, that's when things went into huge decline, because yeah. in that era in sport, and this was a huge problem, it's like um, you were celebrated for being tough, right? You're yeah. surrounded by, um, you know, work hard you know, bury yourself, you know, there's track and field athletes talking about being sick on the track at the end of training, you know, famous sayings like pain is weakness, leaving the body, and you get swept up in that. And uh, that culture at the time, you know, and and, and me being, you know, uh, always driving forwards, it was like, right, I can deal with this. And the way I dealt with it was just knuckling down and getting on with it, kind of shutting out everything and everyone, and ultimately, that saw me into a, a negative spiral that I carried on with because I was thinking, well, as long as I'm keeping my body fat percentage below 7%, it's going to be fine. As long as I'm doing this, it's going to be fine. I'm re- recovering from this second surgery, focusing because the time pressure was on me to get back onto the team. Mm-hmm. And that negative spiral just carried on and carried on and to the point where I'd somehow managed to recover from it, somehow managed to get back on the team. But I was massively underperforming. This was you know, two thousand and two, so halfway through the Olympic cycle, and I remember the the point where the wheels came completely off as when I you know decided that I was giving up because i 'd done everything I could, and I stood on the pool side we in Spain, tears rolling down my face for the first time in you know ten, 10 years or so and and con- uncontrollably sobbing. Because I'd done everything, I'd, you know, I, I was convinced that I'd done everything. And uh, that was the moment that, that things turned around. And it was. And there's always people who play a part. And Steve mm. Foley, who was the uh, mentor, I regard him as a, a mentor at the time. He'd, he'd been a diver before. He's part of the, the leadership team, not my, not my coach. Um, and he, he just gently put his hand on my shoulder. I remember it clearly. And he just said, hey, Leon, remind me why you do this crazy sport diving and through the tears I went <laughs> because i enjoy it and then really gently he just said so why haven't i seen a smile on your face then for the past six months mm. and i didn't realize that i'd been obsessing over the detail and my physiology had been physiology of sadness of tension and of depression I'd been hunched shoulders I'd been furrowed brow I'd been grinding my teeth really trying hard because that's what I thought I needed to do be tough my parents my friends would go hey you doing I go I'm fine I go and see my sports psychologist and I go yeah I'm focused on this I'm focused on that I'm focused on this I'm focused on that and then I'd be at home like close to tears because I was in so much pain it was this this delusion that I could you know get through it and I was just needed to be work even harder to get through and that moment that aha moment you know it was like of course why did I choose this bloody sport when I was 11 why did I why did I embark on this journey is that there, there's no money in it it's no fame in it that's another reason it's because it puts such a big smile on my face I love the thrill of moving in this way of challenging myself doing a handstand on the end of the diving board you know up above like all these multiple spins hitting the water at over 35 miles an hour it's like bonkers to do that but you enjoy it it lights you up so the one change I made when I went back to training two days later, was I put a forced smile on my face. And it was forced because my my f- muscles weren't used to it. But of course, now that I know, and I've done tons of research into this, that mm. our physiology and emotions are a two-way street. Sometimes we smile because we're happy, but sometimes... You know, when we're happy, we begin to smile, and so it's the two-way, two-way. So I think I messed up what I'm saying there. But if you smile, you kind of activate the muscles in your in your cheeks, and the brain starts to detect, like, oh, hang on a second, these are the happiness muscles that are firing, and then it releases that neurochemical emotion, happiness, and that opportunity to change your physiology. And of course, as soon as I started smiling, people were nicer to me because I was more approachable. My teammates. You know, were welcoming and were helping me, but they were just you know open arms. Oh well, look, Leon's back, and I'm like, oh yeah, wow. And then of course my buoyancy, my energy, that drive comes back, and that negative spiral starts to turn the other way. Wow. And it's amazing how quickly it turned around because I only had a few weeks before the Commonwealth Games in in Manchester, and I that negative spiral went the other way. And then four weeks later, I narrowly missed out on the gold medal in front of a home crowd at the Commonwealth Games, and that period there of of, of learning and, and turning that around, you, you know, thinking isn't the solution to our problems, it's mm. often the cause, especially when we get in overthinking, mm. and I was in a state of overthinking, paralysis by analysis, concentrating on all the details, and I just needed to, to go up and remind myself of the bigger picture, the reason why, mm. and so now for me that's informed so much of my interest, so much of my learning through my mentoring, through my coaching, through my speaking is that physiology, you know, your performance is a product of your state, mm. your emotional state. And let's simplify that. There's two states. There's um, the right state, which is cool, calm, collected. That's yeah. where your parasympathetic dominates. That's where you access your best movement, your best thoughts, you articulate whatever you're trying to say. Yeah. And then you've got a right state, which is where uh, your body's full of tension, you're sympathetic, you're in fight, flight, freeze, and that's where you don't want to be. And the easiest way to change your state is by changing your physiology. Wonderful research by Amy Cuddy and her team, you know, power posing is becoming more popular now. Changing your physiology has a huge impact on your emotional state. And we can look at things I'm passionate about, like breath work, which is a huge uh, thing now, as it should be. And how much of an important part that plays when you're trying to compose yourself to do a dive or to do a presentation Mm -hmm. or to to pitch or to anything, to any of the listeners, you know, if you're stuck in your head and you're trying to think your way out of something, thinking isn't necessarily the solution. If you get out of your head and into your body, stand up, stretch, you know, power pose, shake, Mm -hmm. breathe in a specific way, you can really start to change what's happening at a state level. And if you change your state, then your performance takes care of itself.
1: Okay, I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors, Creative Pod. It all starts with an idea, the kind of creativity that wins hearts, changes minds and drives new behaviours. CreativePod is an award-winning full-service marketing agency that work with their clients to become their outsourced creative department for a fixed monthly fee. For almost 20 years, they've been offering clients a full-service approach in everything from branding, PR and social media, to web development, pay-per-click and print advertising. They've been County Business Club's outsourced marketing agency for over a year now. It has been a real game changer for us as a company. To find out more, get in touch with the team at www.creativepod.uk.com. Okay, back to the podcast. Wow, mate, that is so fascinating. I mean, look for for someone that. I've have started looking into that since obviously since we we've spoke actually I've watched a couple of things online your TED talk which was amazing and and obviously a, a bit of research and, and and around sort of mindfulness and mm-hmm. and you know it's something for me as a I guess I've been I many plates I've run various mm-hmm. different businesses people spoke to me on the podcast various occasions about man I've never really accepted it I think I, don't, I think in my head I'm, I don't I've I I really struggled with it I struggle with the whole thing around the breathing and just sitting you know, I sit there for too long my brain's just always working so it's always thinking about stuff but you know what I, I really took on board a little bit about what I've, I've listened to what you've said previously and, and, and other talks and stuff and, and I've started this year off doing some breathing work just if. Since January first, I've got like, the last only three days. i we're well, only a few days <laughs> in at the time recording, <laughs> yeah. but I've just taken uh ten minutes, my first thing in the morning, and just trying to. Break. And you know what? I, I, I'm starting just at this very very early stage, but just starting to think actually there's some so much more in this and that, and I really want to touch on that. Mm-hmm. I guess from from your point of view that being at, at, at the back of the diving mm-hmm. board and being able to take that breath and and refocusing and just because allowing thoughts to come into your head but actually they're going to be there and we can let them go because I'm refocusing on what I am I'm fascinated around that I mean so you're saying that at that point that was the, the turning point for you mm. I guess in, in that in that sense yeah so the, so the next two years climbing
0: away from that was still full of Challenges yeah. and uh, and underperformances. I mean, the next year we went to the World Championships, and uh, if you win a medal at the World Championships, then you qualify automatically for the Games. Yeah. And we were fourth again, right? But okay. when you think fourth Sydney, fourth two thousand three, if you're stuck in your head, then you're like, oh, that's it. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not. Yeah. But actually, we, you know, that was that was an outcome. You know, we looked at our performance, and went right. Mm-hmm. So this is what went well. Boom, 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 boom what do we do differently next time oh there's a few things here that we can tweak you know we mm. need to make sure we're we're controlling the controllables on this we want to be here on that yeah. and you just kind of stayed with it but that understanding of you know physiology and state mm. you know the the difference is sydney i walked around really focused and really focused often looks like you've got tension right? Ooh, <laughs> you know and that's and that's how yeah. it was in athens you'd have thought like are they at the Olympic Games, Leon and Pete? We were just like school kids, laughing all the time. You know, this is before you know any good mobile phone. So we had like these digital cameras. We're taking pictures, we're having a laugh. You know, we played this um, this game uh, called Pass the Pigs. And uh, and we would play it all the time, but we'd also play it in between dives. So, pass the pigs. For those of you who don't know, it's like plastic pigs. You roll them in a pig arena. It doesn't need to be any bigger than a, a, a you know a tea tray. Nice. And they land in different positions, and you know, get certain points for different positions. But you can lose all your points and whatever. And you don't even need to speak the same language as the person you're playing. So, there's this amazing game where we would play, and it would be so encompassing that it would take our mind off what we were. Uh, doing, but not so much that we would, you know, we would be totally distracted. But if you've got 20 minutes in between dives at the Olympic Games, you've got 10,000 people, 12,000 people watching live. You've got two, you know, the two-thirds of the world population watching, 10,000 athletes, 200 countries. In diving, we we competed, uh, so it's an eight-diver final, five dives. Each dive takes 1.5 seconds, and you have a 15-minute wait in between each dive. So my Olympic medal cost me like nine seconds of my time (laughs) in that setting. But then, of course, you think the thousand of hours of leading up to it. So that is a proper head melting situation. So the strategies of of dealing with the uh, pressure expectations and the, you know, the thoughts are going to come running in anyway. So the easiest way to deal with thoughts is to distract. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful way of distracting yourself with an activity or in some ways with your breath and then just. Moving your attention away from things that are outside of your influence or control. So as soon as I start looking at the crowd, going, "Oh wow," or look up at the screens, the or look at the other athletes and their scores and the scoreboard, you know, I didn't look at the scoreboard once, So I can't do anything about that. And the funny thing is, after our first dive in those Olympic games, guess where we were fourth so if i'd have looked up and gone well this is it it's destiny you know your mind starts to look for 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 patterns that aren't there and so i was like well that's uncontrollable i'm not going to look at what can i control i control my breath i control the fact that i'm smiling that i'm you know doing this that we've got the warm-ups that we do and we play this game in between and there's a pre-dive routine and of course the back of the diving board is the last last bit right so you people often say what are you thinking about on the end of the diving board And if I'm doing it right, I'm thinking of nothing. But if I challenge all of your listeners now to go, right, think of nothing now, (laughs) someone could probably do it, but not me, right? So what can you do? Well, you can create the opportunity or the, the circumstances where you're most likely to fall into... Uh, a flow state where your unconscious takes over and that's through repetition and practice train for six or seven hours a day and mm. uh, not because um you know it was enjoyable because it was really tough but it was because you're trying to find that consistency and, and, and develop those skills so it's the repetition of being able to replicate those when when mm. it counts and you've got adrenaline you've got no adrenaline you've got you know all these other neurochemicals like firing around so you need to be cool calm and collected and so it's that final thing to settle yourself so the back of the diving board i would stand there name would be announced and i would throw down what's called a chamois which is the towel that divers have it's uh it's something that uh yeah we can talk more about that but anyway so it's what the divers throw down it's like a flannel basically but you ring it out and it's you know it's it's, it's good to go again so we have that throw that down i'd stand at the the uh the back before i walk forward and then i would inhale exhale And then I would as my mind quietens down on the exhale and my physiology just just done it now, just <sighs> I would silently say to myself, smile and believe. And right. I'd walk to the end. And that was drilled over years, right? And that four year period, that was my process. And that was the process that I'd practised. That was what I would do
1: every time, whether it was would working. P- do the same? Was he on the same path as you? And and so between you, that's exactly you've done a similar thing.
0: Yeah. So we would have that routine. I wasn't sure what he would do, but we would stand. Whew, yeah. He would settle himself, and then yeah. we would walk to the end. Walk to the end in oh in unison. So we were because we performed so many times together. You are totally. You know, I'm saying ready, ready. Yeah. Okay, go walk. You know, we would do, we would acknowledge each other verbally, and then you turn around. Kind of at the same time, peripheral vision. You're watching. And then you get to your start position, and then I would say, ready? And you'd say, yep. And I'd say, one, two, three, go. And that's when we begin the movement. And then you're into it, and then that's where it all you know, takes, takes place. The hardest thing of synchronised diving is the dive, yeah. because it's like, it's like a cake, right? So the, the dive is the, is, the, is, the, is the base. It takes the, all of the effort to get you know, the, the base of the cake. And then the synchronisation is the icing. So there's no point in icing nothing. So you've yeah. got to work your socks off to be able to do the world's most difficult dives. And then if you can do those at a high level of execution, then you're like fine-tuning the the synchronisation. You don't start with the synchronisation. You start with the the, the the dives. And as I mentioned, we were both ex- you know um, successful individual divers as well. We were both fifth and sixth in those Olympic games in the individual event, Commonwealth champion, uh, Commonwealth silver medalist, European champions between us worlds as well. Yeah. So we were we were successful individually, but we came together as that partnership and that pair, and we we loved uh, competing together. We're, and that that one in particular because we had such a laugh. And we were day one of the Olympic Games. And we won that uh, you know, first Olympic medal in 44 years for British diving. So it was a breakthrough moment. There was lots of people, lots of jobs on the line. If we didn't you know, win a medal, their funding would have been cut. All this pressure. But we just managed our state. You know? And the way we did that was we were not taking it too seriously. But we were really focused on our performance and the process. So we knew what we were going to do all day. The, 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 the final was at 10 at night.
1: Wow, So we had the whole day to, you know, to
0: grab ourselves, you know, but we had a process that we'd timed and that we'd been through before. We did a dress rehearsal three days before where we got up and we pretended that it was our Olympic final day. We went to the pool. We wore what we were going to wear. We went to the food hall, which is massive, like 8,000 seats. We sat where we were going to sit. We ate what we were going to eat. We had it all mapped out. So anything that we could. So we did this competition day, you know, dress rehearsal. And we did a competition in the evening, obviously it was just us diving, but using visualisation and that setup and that waiting of 15 minutes in between playing past the pigs. When we got up on the final of the Olympic day, my unconscious mind had been there so many times before that I was able to remain cool, calm and collected because I'd visualise those elements, and particularly the dives, and we could talk about visualisation now yeah. because of its, its power, and often we use it uh, negatively. So we visualise ourselves messing up, yeah. and our mind does that. Our, our, you know, our, our, we're, we're designed to notice error and danger, right? So we automatically go there first. Yeah. But with discipline and with structure, you can use visualisation to be the most powerful thing, well, in my opinion, the most powerful capability we have. Yeah. And the unconscious mind can't tell the difference between reality and imagination. So when I stood on the back of the diving board in the Olympic Games, because I'd been visualizing those dives, not the result, but those dives thousands of times before in that environment, you know, because I'd been in the pool and visualizing the sounds of the crowd, the smell of the chlorine, the smell of peat, you know, not that you smell, but, you know, there's <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and then, you know, the most amazing thing happens. You're able to manage your state in the most intense environment that you've ever been in when it counts and so you've got four years till the next one and if there is a next one and you know all the fourths before you.
1: I guess that, that, that when, when you actually break it down because if you allow your mind to go there like you said a few things there that 44 years <laughs> since, since we've had a medal like you said, funding possibly on the line. It if will totally on the line, if, yeah. If you don't don't get in that, the in fact you've got another four years to wait until you come back and and do it again. The amount of people watching. If you allow, I guess your mindset to get to that point of all that pressure, mm-hmm. how, how <laughs> it's It's almost impossible to go. I'll just walk into this car and collected. So mm-hmm. you, I guess, like you said, it's got to it's got to be that process in place, and it's got to be yeah. those coping mechanisms, yeah. I guess, to mm-hmm. which I guess i'm keen to i guess explore that around how people within their daily lives and mm. especially i guess a lot of entrepreneurs business owners mm. sort of listening to to this what they can take away from that mm. and how they can visualize those
0: yeah things. so let me give you so ch- change your um state before you enter the context where the challenge arises so you've got a tricky meeting coming up so if you go rushing from your phone straight into that meeting sit down and then go into it then you're, you've not managed your state and the person you know, that you're interacting with, you know, your uh, potentially your performance will be affected. So what can you do? You change your state before you enter the context. So outside the door, you know, you take a moment, if you've got one, you know, move the body, you can go off somewhere privately, You stand in you know, this power posing position, reach up, change your physiology. If you do that, you change what happens neurochemically in your, in your system and then you come in in a completely different way. But also from a visual, if you know that you've got something challenging coming up, then visualise yourself doing it. Visualise yourself breathing calmly, moving, you know, as you would if you were performing well, whatever the performance is, whether that's a conversation, whether it's a pitch, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. it can be applied. And that you're not visualising the outcome. It's not you signing the deal or having the medal around your neck. It's the performance itself. Yeah. How are you moving if I was going to be watching you? What does you know, Sam look like when he's performing his best? Yeah. Is he relaxed in his face? Is he smiling? Is it a nice smile? Is his, are his eyes soft? How is his breathing? Is he breathing into his belly you know, when he yeah. reaches forward to shake someone's hand? Is he calm or you know, is he leaning forward? You know? So all these things. And then when you go in, there's already a familiarity. And the more you do it, the more accustomed you get to it and your ability to perform is increase and you're dropping into that most resourcefulness place it's not going to mean you're going to ace it because you might not have done the prep yeah. but you will be your most resourceful and that's all you can ask for on the day I mean your job is to do your best under the circumstances and if the circumstances are against you in my world if there's better teams
1: yeah
0: then that's it there's better teams if you do your best under the circumstances were you injured yeah well did you do your best under the circumstances well yeah
1: well, that's all you can hope for and that, and that that's such a valuable lesson i think for for so many just to i guess where whatever we are we get up each day as long as you can go I've, look you can put all these processes in place and then long you answer that question at the end i've done the best i can where i am at that time with, mm-hmm. with the information in front of me or whatever i've got yeah. I've, I've given myself the best opportunity yeah that's um and you know
0: the harsh reality, and, and you know this is from uh, from someone I was very lucky enough to to, to work with, uh, Dr. Steve Peters, who's written some amazing books, The Chimp Paradox being one of them. And, and I remember working with him in uh, during my career, and uh, uh, in fact, I heard him present, and he he said that oh, there's three rules which uh, apply to everyone: life's not fair, the goalposts always move, and the only guarantee is that there's no guarantees. So when you accept those, <laughs> right, and then he goes, well, so what's left? You've got to do your best under the circumstances. Because okay. I get, I got caught in a, you know, life's not fair. Can't believe I've had all these shoulder surgeries and the yeah. judges and da 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 and yeah. And the goalposts have always moved. You've know, got the, you know, that's been that's changed and these circumstances have changed and. Well, that was you know, guaranteed that I was going to be on the team and now I'm not, you know. So you always get stuck in those three, right? Yeah. Which there is, you know, an element of like acknowledgement that needs to go in. So there are, that is a factor. But yeah. if, those threes, if those three rules apply, which they do, then you can just set yourself down and go, right. So what is in my sphere of influence? What can I do right now? What can I control? And then it's how you approach it. You know, you always get to choose how you show up.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's a lot about the physiology and the and the you know the choice of uh, of mindset. You know, it doesn't make things good yeah. and easy. It just means
1: that you're a bit more resourceful when yeah. you approach it. Because I guess it's looking at that 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 thing. You know, you always talk to people. I'm I would people probably describe me as an optimist. Mm-hmm. Generally got Great. a smile on my face, and that's how, that's how I try and I guess. Portray myself and that's yeah. how I am I'm, See, up, I'm always yeah. looking I look at life as an opportunity glass always half full so that's you know that's an opportunity let's go and, do it. and the other people like you say there's the negative connotations to that where people would always look at those three things say, oh, well, that's always unfair that's never going to mm-hmm. happen is it and, it, and it, there's so much to do with your mindset and how you get out of those things and mm-hmm. what how you fit into to life I, I, I want to touch on where we are with mindset at, at, at the time and um, I guess that that moment. I want to. I really want. Uh, you've just won an Olympic medal, <laughs> something that you've dreamt of all of your life well, since you as far yeah, as you can yeah. remember. On I that guess, day, twenty that years, day, pretty much to the day. 20, yeah, from is, when it first happened. Yeah. Is it? Talk to me about. Uh, was it that that euphoria moment that you dreamt it would be?
0: Yes, it's.
1: It's interesting, really, because
0: I, I don't want to try and put it into into words because mm-hmm. it's. Um, you almost go into a dreamlike state where you're questioning whether it's actually happened. And I mm-hmm. can't remember it being interviewed on the BBC, but I but I was interviewed because as soon as the scoreboard came to life and we were the last pair to dive and I saw you know, the number two come up rather than four or anything else. And that's the first time I'd looked at the scoreboard during the entire competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was almost like those emotions that I'd been working so hard to maintain, cool, calm and collected, cool, calm and collected. You know, that process we talked about dropping into flow states and not paying attention to anything. And I didn't dare think about how I would feel or act if it happened because oh. I was so focused on the process. It wasn't about the outcome, it was the process. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously I wanted it. Yeah, yeah But course. I knew, having wanted it so badly previously at the Olympics and how that worked out for me, mm. I dialled it back to, I having a laugh? It's the small things that, that you're going to remember and you're really making the most of it. Process, 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 process. Boom, there's the performance. What was it like? Yes! And then I was like, whoa! You know, 20 years to the day I watched, you know, the Olympic Games on the TV and told my dad I wanted oh. to go. Now I'm about to stand on the podium, your head's in a spin, the emotions of, of ecstasy and just overwhelm in a good way, just buzzing through every cell mm. in your body. Um, and then I regressed back to almost that six-year-old because um, the reason I say that is because I was standing behind the podium next to Pete and I have no idea why. But we're uncontrollably giggling, and it's quite a quite a, a formal ceremony. You're getting yeah. your medal, and you know it's like stand up, and you, you know, yeah. and we are uncontrollably giggling most of the way through it, trying to stop it. And It was almost like I was back to that six-year-old who was like, you know, n- you know, when you're in classroom and you're told not to laugh. <laughs> it, was, it was literally <laughs> like that. It was such an amazing, amazing moment. But also, there was an empty, not an emptiness, but there's a, this kind of uh, acknowledgement of like nothing really changes as well so I still had the the same you know problems I was still the same person it wasn't like mm-hmm. oh that goal's achieved and because it was a 20-year gold, now I'm totally sorted it was like after that it was like oh what do I do now and you know I think for me being a silver medalist it was like well I wonder if I could stand on the top set, stop top step, you know, and go for gold. So there was that element, so and that was, was that pre- a, a thought process. Yeah, it was definitely. It was almost like you look back at your performance, and think, "Oh, we could have got the gold there, if, but mm. maybe when," which didn't mm. happen, we didn't. We were of, you know. But you always think, "Well, I was capable of the gold."
1: So do how want- does that sit with you? Like I'm talking now, then, like we, we, like get. Where are you in that? Do you still think about that? Is that still something like you? Because look to. For for me, I look at it yes. from someone who goes to get to an Olympics. Mm. What an amazing achievement! To 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 get on the podium. Wow, what mm. an amazing mm. yeah, achievement! Yeah, yeah. And then, but still, there's that. I, is there for you as yeah. a silver medal? You've got yeah. a silver medal at, at an Olympic Games, which yeah. you know a small percentage of people in on the mm. planet will have achieved. But yet, is there still that uh, the gold? No,
0: not now. Yeah. You know, I, I've made peace with, with all of that. You know, there's no magic rewind button and unless you can,
1: you know, <laughs> is that one? No, yeah. no so, n- not here. but n- yeah. I said I'm a technophobe, <laughs> so I can't uh.
0: Could you imagine. <laughs> no. So, you know, th- there's kind of like acceptance of 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 what of what happened, mm. you know, and there's always ways you can analyze it. And that mm. was the day and that was the, the, the performance. And, and it's who you become along the way. Right. Mm. Um, and, and that's you yeah, know, that's that's the most important. But but in that moment, you know, it was joyous, and then it was like, okay, decisions. You know, am I going to retire? What am I going to do? Is there still a desire to compete? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Well, what if? What if I walk away now and then watch the Olympic Games in four years' time and think, oh, could have, could have, would have, should have. I mm-hmm. met a load of those in the pub. Oh, I could have <laughs> yeah, won the Olympics yeah, if yeah, I'd yeah. have uh, only carried on yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was one. Of, you know, in great, good, good yeah, for yeah, you yeah. And, and stuff. But but I wanted to step away from the sport, knowing that I'd given my all so yeah. no regrets no like oh yeah if only i you know it's like no i i did, did well, what i yeah. did and, and that was it and those were the results i was i was fortunate enough to to enjoy and here are the lessons i got along the way and and here's what i'm doing with it now and mm. and and for me there's there's no uh element but at the time 04 that drove me to go okay right let's go another olympic cycle i was into the danger zone 26 uh olympic medalist already one of the oldest in the event Mm. in the platform so to go to the grand old age of 30 which is obviously very young but in diving is like super granddad (laughs) years and so it was always going to be tough and my mind could do it and i didn't make that cycle i retired just before beijing Mm. because my body had finally given up i had another two shoulder surgeries and a worn out disc in my lower back hernia surgery blah 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 and the body was just the medical team were like look there's the red card you Know your body can't handle what you're asking it to do, yeah. uh, you need to stop, and th- you know, that was a whole host w- of was new was decisions.
1: There, w- was there an element of frustration then at that point for, for you, like being, I guess, getting to near another Olympic Games, yeah. but actually, your body physically yeah, it was
0: frustration but also relief, if I'm honest, yeah, because yeah, sure. it was just
1: I could feel okay, I no. was
0: so determined, right? So, I'm running into that brick wall. Mm. And I'm going to keep running into it until it breaks down or I don't get up. I mean, that's yeah. the kind of like determination we're talking about. Yeah. So I created permission yeah. with the medical team, and all the way along, I said, "Look, I'm going to keep pushing. You tell me when, if when comes along, because yeah. I'm going to keep getting up. I'm going to keep going again. I'm going to keep exploring opportunities because in my head, I can do it, and I could. That when means I was, when I was to be able yeah. to do that, that's a... Yeah, dog with a bone.
1: That, but that, that's that's an amazing, yeah. I guess. That, Attribute to have in for anyone, I guess, listen to try try and achieve something in life, whatever that whatever that goal is, whatever you want to achieve, to to have that that type of mental strength to keep getting up and having that look resilient over the last couple of years. The amount of people I've talked to on the, on the, on the podcast and resilience has been a massive word for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. We've just come out of, especially within the business world, sure. you come out of you know out of a pandemic no one had that in their business plan really no exactly that wasn't the
0: setback that we were
1: so that resilience but I think uh, that as a trait as a high performing athlete business person whatever that is that's got to be one of the highest the biggest traits that we need to have resilience, surely.
0: Yeah, but it needs to be tempered, though, because uh, if you uh, don't have the support mechanisms in place, it can be your undoing. You know, if I hadn't given the medical team the heads up, Mm. you know, during that, all the way through, you know, having learnt from what I learnt before, and I was... Putting my hand up for help, yeah. you know. Then after, you know, suffering with that period of what retrospectively was, you mm. know, diagnosed as, as depression mm. because of all the you know, symptoms that I was displaying, but yeah. I'd hidden it. And so, in that period of time, I was very clear. Like when I was in pain or struggling, I'd open you know conversations with all of those involved. But I was also very clear on how much it meant, and I really wanted to give it my all. Yeah. But I needed that safety there. So, you know, when they did step in and say, "You've done everything,"
1: he was okay. like, uh,
0: "Well, it. I just because that uh, permission had been be granted, it, yeah. and and we yeah. need people around us, you know, physical, mental, and social. Those around us to look out for us because we're we're, we're in our blind spots, you know, resilience and and bloody mindedness. In my case, you know, <laughs> it needs to be needs to be tempered. You know, yeah. it can be." Um, you're undoing in the end, and, and, and often is. So it's that, uh, that ability to, you know, resilience is, you know, kind of like pushing and pushing, but it's also a resilience. How quickly can you come back to, to settle? So you push and mm. push and push, push, be pushed back, and then just whew, come back into recovery and go again. And that mm. was my resilience because I was dealing with setback. Mm. You know, the injury would flare up. I would wait. I would be patient. I'd work with a physio. I'd come back in. I'd build and build and build and build. build It'd be back mm. again. I'd be like, okay, Okay, settle, see where we are. Keep calm. Speak to people, you know, and then build up. And it was just mm-hmm. that was the resilience for me. Yeah, sure. It was you know that determination of, of, I mean, it was really for my own peace of mind. So I knew when I stepped away that there was no like, I still, I still reckon I could have. Yeah, you know, yeah. I exhausted every, every opportunity, but I was really clear along the way uh, of though for those around me. And I think that's something that I'm um, really passionate about is that don't do it on your own it's too difficult you know those around you can provide so much Mm. support challenge guidance accountability all of those things and everyone plays a different role and you know I'm very privileged now as a coach to to be able to hold the mirror up to those Mm. I'm lucky enough to work with my clients and go there you go and just not tell them what to do or anything but just hold the mirror up and they just have a look and go okay you know, and that's just. And we all need people yeah. to be able to provide that role, and uh, they're not always the, you know, the, the people that you're surrounded by. So you kind of yeah. check who, who's in your um, sphere of influence, and and, yeah. and and relate to people who are gonna
1: who are gonna support you and serve you, and everyone plays those those different roles. Yeah. I think that's a really powerful message as well. Actually, being able to, one, I guess a couple of things like you, you alluded again there around your sort of when you. Diagnosed maybe, or not diagnosed with depression at that, at that period, and not feeling that you could reach out. I think, I mean, you, you tell me, but I, I, there's definitely a shift. I think, and there has been over the last sort of, you know, few years, where it is a little bit. It's more acceptable, I guess, that vulnerability is and weakness, and it's okay to actually ask for help. And whereas. You go back to that period I guess between 2000 and 2004 like you said I guess the message and the narrative out there which is still strong I still think there's a strong narrative out there unfortunately but it is that the vulnerability is weakness and that I can't I especially amongst men I, I'm you know not generalising but especially amongst men there's that thing that we have to be strong and you know can't be weak and show emotion and stuff and I think fortunately I think you know people like yourself speaking openly about it and being able to address it and um it, it creates you tell me i mean as you as a mentor now I guess you do you see a little bit more vulnerability with people you worked with and and that yeah cert-
0: yeah certainly i mean it's uh it's better that way you know if you you know in 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 sport you know one of the biggest problems I became what I did. There wasn't, you know, there's the human being and then there's the thing that you choose to do. Mm. But for me, it was like, I am a dive, I am this. It was too ingrained in my identity and it was all about that. And actually, when you speak to the human being mm. and you choose to do this and you can separate those two out, that's what's really important. Mm. So with my mentoring work, I'm always checking in with the human being that they choose to be an athlete and they enjoy you know performing in this space yeah. but their friends their family uh, and those around them will still love them no matter what they do yeah. and that for me is the fundamental because when it becomes oh I need to do this to get that as in do the performance to get the the love and the adoration and such like which can be you know brought, you know, brought in from circumstance from childhood etc mm-hmm. then that's unhealthy and hugely unhealthy and that's where you drop off when you are a human being and you you have that grounding mm. that there's more important things than what you do, but you choose to do what you do and you're passionate about what you do and you can throw yourself into it mm. with great enthusiasm, but you step back to this space of the human being, yeah. that no matter what happens, you're gonna be you know, loved and appreciated and supported. Then yeah. you can really start to perform. That's yeah. the irony. You'll yeah. perform at your very, very <laughs> yeah. best if you get that right. And so it gets a bit skewed through yeah. culture and through expectations. So. Being an example, so I work with you, you know leaders, and uh, you know, people don't follow what you say, they follow how you behave. Mm. So, if you change your behaviors, then that cascades down. And we are seeing now more, you know, uh, focus on uh, looking after yourself, recovery, yeah. you know, well being, openness, vulnerability, whatever these. Uh, I don't want to call them buzzwords, but you know, there, yeah. is, there is a focus on that. But what does that do? Well, that makes you uh, calmer, um, happier, more satisfied, thriving, like all of these things are accessible through that. Yeah. So it's about recovery. So sport, you know, I train very, very hard, but unless I got my recovery right, I wouldn't be able to perform. the same as business. Yeah. Unless you are creating opportunities for recovery and look, you we're both parents so we know how much that changes the external general circle it's no good of me coaching someone saying, i'll oh, just get good sleep yeah. you know because <laughs> like, well i've got a two-year-old yeah you know, this is me and so my <laughs> sleep's been disrupted for for some time now and luckily it's it's changed so yeah. it's like, well how do you create the circumstances where you're going to get you know as much quality sleep as possible and that's where you start to look because there's pockets of recovery allow you to increase your bandwidth and if you mm-hmm. can deal with the stuff that's being thrown at you and you're already at hundred percent you're not gonna deal with it. But if you can cruise at eighty percent with twenty percent capacity, then when stuff lands on you from all different angles, you've got the ability to deal with it resourcefully without moving down this trajectory of worn out. As soon as you get to worn out, you're on your way to burnout. And you know, the stats out there, Gallup surveys and stuff, is you know, increasing the presenteeism people at work who aren't really at work absenteeism on the rise as well yeah. so all of these stats you really need to acknowledge that recovery is what's missing yeah. and this culture of you know what really upsets me some is people automatically in the narrative thing they go how are you doing go, oh doing great are you busy and i go no yeah. and i'm choosing not to be and i have to like you know stop because yeah, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. almost like oh you're busy or you must be well then because, yeah. you know, if you're busy doing this, this, and this, and I'm sure you've oh, it. some, you're busy because oh, you man. can be busy because you've got so many interests yeah, yeah, yeah. and so much drive and so much optimism. And, well, I could do this, we could do that. You know, here I'm doing a podcast, I'm doing this, a magazine, boom, 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 right? So the tendency to fall into busyness as a badge of I'm doing well or a badge of honour, that's yeah. our undoing. So we need to continue to change the narrative of, like, are you busy? No, because I'm structuring my time where I can recover, I can go and stand outside first thing in the morning, get photons in my eyes, sort out my circadian rhythm. I start my day with five minutes of breath worth practice, breathing into my diaphragm to calm my nervous system. So I know when I get stressed out a bit later, I automatically go back to that breathing and I feel less stressed because I'm all about changing my state while I'm going through, because there's no guarantees, right? Yeah, the only guarantee's yeah. no guarantee is no guarantees. So yeah, I could yeah. have a hell of a day, but at least if I start it with a few processes that are gonna serve me to disrupt the buildup of angst and challenge and stress in my system, I can navigate it. And when I design and schedule pockets of recovery, and it could be two minutes, it could be five, it could be half an hour, you know, it doesn't yeah, need to yeah. be like going on holiday as recovery or going yeah, on holiday is yeah. important. Yeah. It's like, how do you structure your week, your weekend, in order to create ease in your system because resilience is how quickly can you bounce back from a stressor for yeah. me so yeah. if a stressful meeting can you go outside calm yourself down in two minutes that's resilience yeah. or does that go into your next meeting and then you're yeah. you're right on yeah. it and you,
1: and you can see how it perpetuates yeah. can't you I, I, honestly that is i find it that fascinating for, for, so for me i'm 100 i've mm-hmm. wore that badge uh, there's a the whole hustle culture you know mm-hmm. if you're not you know, working sixteen hour day. I've I've done it myself. I've posted on on social media before. Like you know, oh, I've this event and people go, "Oh, you're everywhere. You're doing this." And and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. How are you getting on?" And my response has been that, "Oh, yeah. So busy. Just so busy at the minute." I'm like, no, actually. When you take a step back and you analyse yourself, you i "Am I being a bit, a bit of a busy fool? I'm running about doing all these things, but actually, that's not great." And working sixteen-hour days, oh, I would have been at three o'clock in the morning because I was up working, and I'm back up because I'm out. To, like, that's nothing to actually be proud of, because you, what, what are you, what are you actually trying to achieve from doing, being that person? Uh, and and I think there was a, there was a, a, with the hustle culture, there was that big narrative out there that yeah, you got. To, you got to be out there. You got to be grafted and the harder you work, the more successful you are. And that was the difference. That was the narrative I bought into for quite a long period. I think the harder I worked, the more successful I'm going to be. Mm. Actually, that, that they don't join up. Actually, it does. I'm not saying that anything. As you've alluded to, anything you do in life, you've got to work hard at. You've yeah. got to have focus, and you've got. To, but it's doing them in the right way, and I think that's the message that. Trying again, I'm look, I'm I'm still on a massive learning curve for, for me yeah. Itself. We're a work in progress, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I often say we're not a
0: painting to be completed and mm-hmm. hung on the wall. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we're constantly evolving and adjusting as our values change, our value mm. system you know, change through life circumstances and mm. things happen. Whether that's uh, changing personal circumstances, children, job, mm. you know, all these things of reassessment. Okay, so what's important to me? Mm. You know, yeah. like, what's important to me about X, and then if you're in tune with what's important to you recognition or you know whatever realms that you're looking at so joy happiness satisfaction all these things that 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 come up and tuning in to that and and evolving it as you move into different domains or different stages of your life and adapting and you've got to burn your fingers right you push the limits and the limits will push you back and you go okay fine sometimes you snap though right so my shoulder you know burnout worn out all these things it's like you know you've got to find it and 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 there are times where we're stretched right and you have to put your foot down mm. but if you're unaware of like you know the ability to take it off or adjust or, or reset course because you're just so slammed yeah. then you're on your way to 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 a serious um
1: worn out yeah. burnout situation which there is too much of yeah, moment, so. a, a, absolutely absolutely that and I think you know like, like I alluded to a, bit, a little while back I was saying about so f- certainly for me my whole process this year is certainly more around my well-being as a, because I did I went 100 miles an hour last year I've done lots of things great things I'm not I'm, I'm proud of a lot of the stuff I did yeah. with, with, with you know especially charity stuff and bits and pieces and and I had some amazing experiences but I did get to the end of the year I wow you know i want to i want to just go let's just mm-hmm. put, put press a pause button it's been lovely actually the last couple of weeks it's the, the, f- the only time really in the year where a magazine's gone out didn't have anything scheduled the other business i mm-hmm. run Firmballs, has stopped a little bit so we don't have any events so yeah. actually having a two-week period just spending time with the family with the kids and mm-hmm. being present with them and having a mm-hmm. magical time it's dipped in and out and mm-hmm. dumb little bits as i always will do but it was lovely to actually hit mm-hmm. that pause button for a bit mm-hmm. and and I'm aware, and I think you know, trying to make changes for for this year. And like I said, with the mind, I'm a, I'm an early riser, so I'm up mm-hmm. at five, which is mm-hmm. cool. I'm okay, and, that, and that, but trying to think, well, I will go to bed a bit early. I won't work till late as well, and yeah. get up early and trying to be just like you said I want to get the best performance out of mm-hmm. me and be the best version of myself every day. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I can't do it on three hours sleep and <laughs> doing you know juggling all them things. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating to. And one other thing, I really want to take from what you what, what you, you mentioned there as well about your identity mm-hmm. and being I think now find out I listened to a podcast um, I've got dr. Rang and Chatterjee mm. spoke about this a little bit about nice
0: no, so that's uh, I was just listening to that on the way in oh, I'm a yeah. big fan of uh, yeah, oh, yeah feel better live more yeah,
1: yeah. B- brilliant brilliant podcast and I think mm-hmm. he, um he, he alluded to exactly that like he said I've changed it so that my identity is my values of who mm-hmm. I am as a mm-hmm. person not I'm a doctor not I'm a father yep. not I'm a husband mm-hmm. but uh, these are my three core values mm-hmm. or however many these are my values I live to and then it, because l- like you I guess mentioned earlier you said about as a diver that's, that was my identity because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you then when you stop becoming a diver then what do you lose yeah, your identity you? yeah, well, yeah exactly and that's I think that's a, that's a really the same with business I guess you, you. of course business is there it used to be business is there and life is there and that's how something but it's very much the world of that has an impact on that. Yeah. So that's your bubble, really, of your life. So that's the circle you need. In terms
0: of an entrepreneur, can not it? When you are the business and you're driving it, so yeah. yeah, it's a huge challenge yeah.
1: in that uh, space. I want to, uh, I want to move on and just talk a little bit about about setting goals, and we're talking mm-hmm. about achievements, and, and we alluded to there with yours, and you know, you've achieved that amazing goal, and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I alluded to a little bit earlier about the the cliche of the life being a journey mm-hmm. and stuff, because I, I still get a little bit there's a conflict a little bit inside me where I am ambitious and I do that and mm-hmm. I look at, at how how do you or what do you do where you look at actually you you have got to set goals as business mm-hmm. people we have mm-hmm. to do that I guess and as as an athlete you would yep. as a high performing athlete you, you we, we set set goals but wh- what do you do to to make sure that you're enjoying that process and enjoying mm. that journey to get to that to that goal. Sure. If, I'm, sure. I'm keen to get you...
0: Yeah, so goal setting is an interesting interesting one, isn't it? I've got a couple of, um, of, of observations on it. So the, the way you went about it, in, uh, it as an athlete, because it's quite linear, you yeah. know, the Olympic Games every four years, yeah, there's yeah. like, I guess, long-term, medium-term, short-term goals. Yeah. And so you're kind of going back into the future, where do you want to be, you know, let's look at it in a four-year cycle. So at those Olympic Games, this is the performance rather than the outcome. So it's not like I want to win a medal because you get distracted because, well, how do you know? How do you know what's going to be going on? so what would be a medal-winning performance, Mm. right? So what score, you know, performance would be? Mm. So that's what we're aiming for there. And then you're like, okay, so what do I need to do to, to get me there? Well, here's... You know, in four-year chunks, there's major championships, and you need to be kind of progressing in this way. And okay, so those are the medium term. Then, well, short term are what? So all of these different components, flexible, um, powerful. So then you start to look at you know the different elements. So those mm-hmm. are the short-term goals, and then they come back even more into the the processes. So what's the what's the daily habits that I need to employ in order to to take me in that way? And that's where you focus every single day occasionally look up and go yeah okay that's where I'm going and then you go back down into the into the process of you know what are the active daily activities hmm. uh, actionable um, uh, uh, performances within that or um, tasks I need to fulfill in order to get me to the short and then f- again yeah. continuing to evaluate and adjust along the way and um, but it's the systems that support you uh, because uh, you, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the, you know, the level of your systems. So it's like, what environment are you, are you in? Are you in a high-performing environment? So every time I turned up at training, there's other people there who are looking to improve. I've got a coach, it's a setup where, where their desired behavior, i.e. working hard in this particular domain, is, is, is the default. I'm not getting up every day on my own, on my computer, having to self-motivate, that's a much harder setting. It's mm-hmm. like a, you know, you're looking to create a system where you can thrive when the desired behavioral habit mm-hmm. takes place. And uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's lots of um, things that you can do in order to create that accountability or going somewhere to do something, you know, whether it's from an exercise habit or whatever. But you know yourself and you've got to know how you're wired and willpower is not enough. So yeah, people say yeah. you must be really motivated, Leon, to train seven hours a day. And I say, well, yeah, but motivation isn't there when you're tired or stressed, and it's the same for me. Yeah. So what do you need instead of motivation? Well, you need commitment. The commitment is I decide to do that, and it's scheduled, and you do it, and there's consequences if you don't. Yeah. And the consequences are, you know, so then it's like going there to, to train, and that's the environment, and the environment lends itself to that. It wasn't, you know, like I had to do it on my own so it was the creation of the circumstances in the environment where I was able to follow yeah. those processes without relying on motivational willpower
1: right and do, do you look, do you look back at like you, you look back at that period uh, of, of training and especially I guess leading up to 2004 mm-hmm. that and I think we sort of, I guess, going through the tough period that you did, but mm-hmm. actually enjoying the, the, the process. I, I, when you look back over it, you do enjoy that journey, enjoy that life, that that experience. And you obviously, like you said, I guess that 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 turning point when that was Zanvoli, You said, yeah, you yeah. touch on that shoulder so yeah. to remind you that I do this because I love it, and that's where that enjoyment then. Yeah, comes so you from. get
0: you, you get to choose where you place your attention, mm. don't you. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, when you're doing it well, I would argue. <laughs> you're getting satisfaction out of it, mm. an intrinsic reward. Yeah, yeah. So it's the, not about the accolades and <laughs> recognition. It's about that this is me on purpose or you're dropping into an experience of flow or that's what happens mm. you know, often for, for performers. And, and that is what's enriching. So finding the joy in what you're doing or the satisfaction uh, through it hmm. uh, and that doesn't you know you can still find joy in the grind in when it gets to the end of a day where you've really given it your all and you put your head on your pillow physically, mentally emotionally exhausted in a good way and you've got time to recover hmm. then that is joyful yeah, but yeah. in the time when you're you know midway through whatever <laughs> <laughs> it might be which is challenging you know that's let's be honest that's not joyful Always. in that moment yeah, but it's yeah, yeah, deferred sure. gratification isn't it yeah, it's simple, that I'm going to yeah. work through this now because I know that mm. the uh, the satisfaction intrinsically will be there yeah. at this point in the future. So it's being able to turn up and do your reps, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and deal with the boredom if boredom's involved. You know, people often refer to great athletes are the ones who are just willing to put in the the, the reps and they don't just you know yeah. uh, walk away when it gets a bit boring or a yeah, bit yeah. tough.
1: Amazing, I love that. Look, let's just talk a little bit now. I Just want to go into obviously. You, you mentioned about retiring, obviously in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Was there coming up to that period, and then when you did retire in two thousand and eight, was had you started to think about what life would be like after after diving, or or what that next process would be like for the next few years? Talk to me about that. Yeah,
0: so uh, the transition from uh, sport into life after sport is a tricky one for for, for most athletes. Yeah, sure. I I feel very fortunate for me that I had my shock six years before mm. where that period of, uh, of depression you know suddenly realized I was totally ill equipped if it was all over mm. and that was part of the, the the scariness of that that situation I was yeah. like well what am I going to do like you know I thought I was going to continue diving forever well, obviously yeah. I didn't but I'd never really given it any thought and I was so um embroiled in my identity as a diver who I am Olympic diver yeah. you know that was it like, well, what else do you do which is Olympic diver you know and then I realized that it could be all over and it looked like it was all over and so coming out of that period then and even in the build-up to 2004 I was very much aware of what else is there
1: hmm.
0: you know what you know what what do I who am I you know yeah, a difficult yeah. question to answer but probably a better one is like what else is important to me or what is giving me so much from this sport you know oh, performance being with people, working hard, you know, there was like elements, of, you know, like, okay, so what else is there that I'm interested in? What are other people doing? It started to to open my eyes a little bit, started to pay a bit more attention to what I was doing outside of the pool. I went back to university, I studied uh, business and finance, did a HNC, I didn't do the full full degree, but went back as a mature student. So doing something completely different, um, I started to uh, explore, you know, being a children's TV presenter, which, by the way wasn 't as exciting as I thought it was going to be, so when I explored it, went to do a screen test and uh, do some shadowing, realized that that actually wasn 't for me because it was a lot of waiting around it was a lot of scripts whereas yeah. I was very much in the live. And I was okay so what 's the live version of that? okay, so going to visit schools and you know talking to children about making good choices or having ambitions, goals, dreams oh that sounds like fun, oh, public speaking, do you get paid for that? Well, yes, you can. Yeah. how interesting, what are the skills do you need and so for me, over those the years uh, leading up to even Athens, I'd already started to to mm. develop interest and skill sets. And then post Athens, when I'd already won my Olympic medal, and had the opportunity to go and speak and go to schools and speak mm. to businesses, and so I was already, you know, building those skill sets. So 04 to 08, I was kind of ready with. Well, I could just do this for a while while I figure out what I want to do. Mm. And here I am, nearly 20 years later, still trying to figure out what I want to do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a, a you know, diverse load of interest. But there are common themes, you know, it's working mm-hmm. with people and, uh, you know, performance. But now for me, wellness, you know, I've, I've been teaching yoga and be part of, um, of that space for, for well over a a decade now in fact 14 mm. years and i never knew yoga existed until the medical team told me you should try yoga because it's going to help your lower back which by the way is really bad but that gave me a new understanding of calmness which i'd never been able to mm. access that meditative practice i'm now a lead trainer on the headspace app for mindful movement mm. which is uh, something i'm very proud of and i'm able to now uh, really throw myself into areas. Well, mistakes that I made were I was so focused on performance at the expense of my wellness yeah, both yeah. my physical and mental wellness over time and mm-hmm. I learnt that by getting my fingers burnt so now I speak confidently through my own experience about how important it is to build a foundation of wellness so when mm-hmm. I'm working with an exec and they're too busy to listen to you know the, the, the first thing i do is i have a um, a wonderful device and various diagnostics that i can run but the most powerful one is uh, is an ecg wearable device you wear for seven days that tracks your heart rate in particular your heart rate variability which shows your stress response 24 hours of the day wow. how good your sleep is the effect of alcohol the effect of any physical movement etc etc and so it's a, a physiological window into the soul and it's yeah. an opportunity to grab someone's attention and allow them to look at you know how they are operating from a physiological level and compare that to the story they're telling themselves which is obviously sometimes there's a little bit of a difference there you know, i'm fine it's okay red wine's good for me i only need three hours whatever you yeah. and then you kind of look at the physiological data and then it's a conversation to go okay so this is not cool in these areas you can see that and that's you so what can you do to uh uh, wow. to tweak it. And that for me is, is, is now a real focus is if you want a sustained high performance, yeah. I get that, but this is the way to go about it. Yeah. And it's a, a way that's kind of built to last with that possibility of enjoyment for most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to give you a chance to really thrive rather than, shoo,
1: boom, yeah. and then crash. That's amazing. And it's, again, it's a, it's a powerful message, isn't it? And I guess it's like for you, because obviously you've mentored and people like Tom Daly, for example, and that, and and talk to me a little bit about that. Obviously the mentor inside of it. I guess someone like you said, you, what you've been through in your journey, being able to then talk to people within that, especially within that space within the diving mm-hmm. uh, arena, being able to must have helped massively. I'm assuming <laughs> for for them, it, it, especially with the whole well-being side of stuff.
0: Sure. Yeah. I hope so. So the. um I was very fortunate to be uh, part of the Team England Futures uh, Programme summer of 2022, where um, the athletes uh, who were tipped on their trajectory for the different sports that they one day would put on a, a vest, whether it was Commonwealth Games sport or not, were given the opportunity to get close to the Commonwealth Games and get an insight into what it's like behind the scenes, go to events, speak to athletes and everything. I was lead mm-hmm. mentor in that programme. So mm-hmm. I feel uh, very privileged to have been part of such programmes So it was Sports Aid uh, charity who support the next generation of athletes coming through mm-hmm. and, and speaking to athletes before they make it, you know, when they're forming their strategy, skills and decisions uh, is so important. Mm-hmm. And again, being able to share... From my insights and um, experiences, but also having worked with with many others, it gives me uh, such an opportunity to to guide or to get young athletes to consider to how, how they're approaching things. And then it's up to them, right? Like, you know, it's yeah. not about me telling anyone what to do, but it's about guiding, inspiring, mentoring in that in that very uh, non-directive way where they make all the decisions, but yeah. you're there to, to guide them. And it's hugely gratifying. When I was an athlete, the whole world revolved around me. It was all about me. It was about uh, my performance on that day. There were all these people inputting. But now uh, life after sport is all about other people yeah. and how I could support and challenge them to get to where they want to go and intrinsically rewarding even more so than the standing on the podium stuff that I did for, yeah, for, wow. for many years. Yes, yeah, massively rewarding. You can
1: tell, actually, as you, you're talking about it. I've, I've heard, again, sort of heard you speak about it previously as well, and that seems that amount of fulfilment you mm. must get from that and helping others and, mm. and supporting that. You can tell that I think it come, mm. comes across as a passion for you, mm. surely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So awesome. Look, we're sort of coming today. I, want, I wanted you to, to leave me before we go into the sort of quick fire questions. Last couple of questions I wanted to ask up couple of things just to to leave maybe for some of our some of our listeners is love you to highlight or sort of maybe some three key elements possibly that you've taken from from your sporting career that, that you've taken into the business world that, that you could maybe share with us yeah
0: it's that's a good question isn't it so um I guess the first one is that you get to choose how you show up mm. each day you don't get to choose the circumstances but you get to choose your attitude how yeah, you show yeah. Up um one thing i've taken is consistency so i came out of an uh, area where i was one of the best in the world and then i would be deluded to think that i would step into the next space and automatically be the best in the world mm. and it's that consistency of showing up
1: mm.
0: every single day showing up showing up so the consistency is key whether you're mm. trying to build a new habit whether you're trying to build a business consistency is 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 the word mm. and the other one is is the um is the physiology, is the, is the smiling. So mm-hmm. you know, what is that? What's that two-way street that I've already talked about between mm-hmm. physiology and emotion? So coming into a setting that's um, challenging is I get the choice to you know hold my body in a particular way, so whether that's with a gentle smile or chin up, chest up, and I do that before I enter the context where I'm going to be feeling a little bit, uh, uneasy imposter syndrome is just you know yeah. very real and very normal for all of us it's just a little bit of uncertainty yeah. uh that if we pay too much attention to can come you know can be you know built up to overwhelm so yeah. it's like okay i'm feeling uncertain here that's okay so my you know i am not my thoughts is a good studying but yeah. i can also change my physiology as, as as stepping in so those are things that i do yeah. consistently i choose how i show up i don't get to choose my circumstances it's all about the consistency
1: and physiology brilliant i love that mate listen it's honestly it's been it's been like an education seeing and chatting to you really has it's just fascinating i could i could chat to you for, for many many more hours uh, i appreciate it. we've got to, we're going to wrap up so let, t- tell me what, what does the future hold for you
0: yeah so i'm uh, uh, the proud father of a two and a half year old and oh, nice. um, as we talked about earlier it was like oh are you busy and, uh, well, yes, I am busy, but what's taking up my time is learning the most difficult role that I've ever, you know, been had the privilege to, yeah, to play, yeah, sure. and uh, I'm very... Uh, fortunate that I have a you know diverse interests. So my, my coaching company, is speaking, presenting, some of the stuff I do. I mean that list that you read out at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives me a lot of um, opportunity to uh, to dip in and dip out of things. But now my my focus is spending um, quality time. You know, learning, growing, and developing, and and observing my son as he you know does does his thing. It's yeah. incredible to watch. And people say, oh, is he going to be into sport? if he wants to be yeah, yeah. you know good for him I, I'm going to allow him to direct his passions wherever he wants to go I want to give him a broad opportunity to try different things mm-hmm. um, and see where, where his passions lead him and that for me is, 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 is rewarding and, and I'm just coming out of the, the I guess two and a half years of sleep deprivation so <laughs> the future sure. holds a little bit more of a focus <laughs> on my own wellness yeah. particularly building those foundations of, of, of sleep but also you know working with people through this very challenging time so mm-hmm. post Pandemic into uh, you know, economic challenges going forwards, high levels of stress, overwhelm, and I'm in a place where you know I feel like I can contribute positively to support people, um, mm. you know, both in, in the sport industry but also in the um, in the exec world uh, because it's hard, mm. and we all need someone to uh, support and challenge us in the right way and to call us out, mm. um, and uh, that's something
1: that I'm uh, really passionate about now in my coaching work. Amazing. Uh, listen, I, I I know that uh, me personally as a, as a business owner, how much I've got from this, and I'm sure all of our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for obviously sharing Pleasure. your wisdom and your journey. And it's uh, such an inspiring story as well. So thank you for that, mate. And look, we're going to finish as always with our quick five okay. questions. I'll, <laughs> I'll throw these at you. So right. um, one piece of advice would you give to your teenage self? Teenage self, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need <laughs> to get him to stop and, <laughs>
0: stop and listen. Um, it would be to slow down. Mm. So when you're so driven, as I was, there was a sense of urgency about everything. If, mm. if it wasn't done by yesterday, it wasn't quick enough.
1: Yeah.
0: And you miss so much. Because what I've realised now is, you know, the big stuff is the small stuff. Yeah. And I was so focused on what's next, what's the future, next goal, next thing. I was leaning so far forward, I was so future-paced, that I forgot to savour the moment. So if I could go back and I'd say, slow down, and savor those moments, because those are the ones that are going to count. Yeah.
1: And, and having children certainly brings that to light, doesn't it, because does it? yeah. we uh, it's being present with them, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we only get one shot of that, and yes. that, that, that time period, like you alluded to earlier that time, and watching them grow is, uh, mm-hmm. is a magical, magical experience. It certainly so, is. Yeah, I love that. Who has inspired you in your career, and why?
0: Well, the first people that come to mind who are worth a shout-out, uh, we've talked about them already, are my mum and dad. Yeah, sure. You know, there's lots of inspirations along the way, but if it wasn't for their commitment, in some some ways sacrifice, um, and the way that they went about it, yeah. you know, we talked about the alarm clock and, you know, okay, that's fine if you want to stop, and it was just creating the opportunity for me to, like, phew, to drive it. Yeah. It's incredible because, you know, they were doing the best under, with the skills they had under their own circumstances. Mm. And so it's, yeah, what they did in those early days set me up. And then it was, you know, when I get to that level of responsibility where it's all on me and they're there to support and they always were. And they took great pride in, uh, you know, everything I was able to achieve but also overcome yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, it was hard for them to watch those periods of, of challenge, but that's yeah, sure. that's that's part of the process of, uh, of of living
1: isn't it yeah of course of course i love that love it can you recommend a book or a podcast to our listeners a had an impact or influence on you?
0: Yeah, well, we've mentioned it already, haven't we? So yeah. the podcast that I'm a big fan of is Ron Chatterjee's uh, yeah. Feel Better, Live More. He's yeah. got fantastic guests. It's long form, yeah. and I do a lot of my learning on there, so I'm fascinated in in the, in the, in the space of performance and wellness and well-being and, and yeah. everything, and it's just a fantastic podcast. Yeah. He's got um, Bite Size on there as well. So that's the one that, funnily enough, we've mentioned already, yeah, and, and that's, that's the fair. one that I go to. I'm a big fan of podcasts. Podcast as well, but I think you know Ron is is definitely uh, definitely yeah. worth a listen, and then book wise, um, James Clear's Atomic Habits.
1: Okay, So we
0: talked about processes, goals, and everything like that. So I, I delivered a bit of session recently for the London Business Forum specifically on habits, mm. and I was referring to lots of the books out there, B. J. Fogg and uh, uh, Charles Duhigg, but also um, the one I'm mentioning, James Clear's Atomic Habits, mm. because. This time of year we you know we're uh, we're talking it's the beginning of the new year, and there's the new year's resolutions and yeah. all the kind of stuff where it doesn't but but if you can get your habits dialed in and systems mm-hmm. in place and know the mechanics of that, it gives you an opportunity to um, manage uh, yourself and make changes that are mm-hmm. sustainable and that's something I refer to a lot in my in my coaching so
1: James clear's atomic habits brilliant brilliant yeah i'm uh, like I said earlier obviously i'm a big fan of talked about he said he's mm-hmm. his book as well but his podcast is fantastic he's he got some great guests and yeah, so it's a great one so i'll put that in my i've done my top five for 2022 and that was on, on, oh, on my so yeah, so I'm, I'm a good <laughs> fan but we're well, gonna wrap up final one what is your one rule for living a fulfilled life mm.
0: so there's a, a a quote uh that comes to mind so I, I, i'll share mm. that we uh we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. I think that's from
1: George Bernard Shaw. Love that. Wow. Mate, what a great way to finish. Thank you. Listen, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real, you know, honour to have you on and um, a My real pleasure. privilege. show. thank you so much. And um, like I say, I can't wait to share this episode because I know people get a lot from it. So listen... Good luck with getting a little bit more sleep. Yeah, thanks <laughs> <you> very much. <laughs> Tom, I appreciate <laughs> that. Two and yeah. a half years, and um, and good luck with everything. And uh, look forward to seeing you know more more from you in the future. So thanks again for your time, mate. My absolute pleasure. Thanks and for as having they you. say, it's a wrap. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H Two Productions.